Let's bow our heads for just a moment of silent prayer. Amen. I don't usually embarrass people when I preach, but I have to today, because there's somebody here I'm going to tell a story about, and I know they're going to be embarrassed when I tell it, but it's all right. This happened years ago when I was pastoring in Madison, and I was holding a revelation seminar, and a lady who was not a member came to our revelation seminar, and afterwards she says, I want to tell you why I am here. And I said, well, I'd like to know. And she says, well, there's a lady who works in my office, and she is one of your members, and she is so sweet. She says, whenever anything goes wrong, she's always the first one to take care of it. She never complains. Anybody's sick, she takes food to them. And when I found out that her pastor was going to be explaining what she believes, I had to go and find out what makes her tick. I'm talking about you, Lisa. You were that lady that she was talking about. I don't know if you remember that or not. But before I preached that sermon that told that story, and I knew I was going to embarrass you, uh, I quoted something from ministry, uh, Testimonies and Ministries. It says it's a dangerous thing to say too many nice things about preachers. I says, if you church members have the same weaknesses we preachers have, I apologize in advance because I don't want to do anybody any harm. And after the sermon was over, if you know Denny Linder, he was the first one to get to the door. And he says, you know that place in the sermon where he says it's a dangerous thing to say nice things about preachers? I said, yeah. He says, you don't have anything to worry about. <laughs> That's my favorite story. But when we're witnessing to people, sometimes we need to lay the groundwork so that they will be ready to receive our words. Amen? Because if we don't lay the groundwork, sometimes our, our words fall on what we think is hard ground. But maybe it's not hard ground. Maybe we just haven't done the preparatory work to get them ready to receive. I remember one time uh, I had an opportunity to give some literature to a person. And when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to say, was that you that kept me from giving that literature to that person? I have a sneaking suspicion that the Holy Spirit will say, yeah, that was me who told you, and, I'm not, and I'll, I'll say why. I've come up with some ideas possibly why, but let me tell you the story. Since there's no children's story, I'll tell this story. I was driving my little earth-friendly, fuel-efficient car down the highway one day, and I had that sucking feeling that you get when a big semi is about to pass you. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And... Uh, I'm not mad at semi-drivers, but I was just a little bit irritated that day, and I had to get a good grip on my steering wheel to keep me and sucked over against him. How many understand what that sucking sensation is? It's called the law of aerodynamics because the air passing between us is go fast and has less pressure, and it just pulls you that way. And uh, I could just feel the guy's attitude because I was going the speed limit already, so he had to be going at least 10 miles an hour over the speed limit. And I just felt his attitude as he went by is, get out of my way, road lice. And he went on by. And, uh, you know, I'm not really irritated, but just a little bit upset, you know, that have to pull up. But as he went by, I happened to glance up, and here in the passenger side door was a key in the thing, and a great big key ring with a glob, 15, 20, 30 keys hanging on that. And I hate to tell you this, but my first uh, 
thought when he went by and I saw those keys, I thought, you're going to lose those keys and you're going to have a bad day and it serves you right for being such a hurry. Because that's, you know. And uh, he went on by. How many are ashamed of me for that feeling? The Holy Spirit spoke to me and says, he's going to have a worse day than he's already got. You can help him out. How many are ashamed of me? I didn't feel like helping him out. I thought he deserves it. He'll learn a good lesson, not to be in such a hurry. But the Holy Spirit says, here's somebody in need, and you have an opportunity to help him. And I thought, how am I going to get that semi to pull over? I can hardly keep up with him in my little car. And the Holy Spirit didn't argue with me. He just said, do it. So I had to slow down while I found a piece of paper and a pencil, taking my life out of my hands. You know, you're not supposed to do that stuff when you're driving. But I found an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper and in block letters as big as I could write it, I wrote, key, indoor. And it took me at least five or six miles at 80 miles an hour to catch up with this guy. And I finally caught up with the speed demon. And when I got up there, I pulled up the side and I go, beep, beep. And I held that piece of paper up to the uh, window. And he, he looked down and he saw that. Immediately, he slowed down and pulled over. And uh, my foot started to go toward the brake. And the Holy Spirit said, because uh, I thought, you know, I've done something nice for this guy now. And maybe he'll take a, a book from me or something. But as my foot started to go on for the, for the break, the Holy Spirit says, you've done your part, go on. You don't need to hear him say thanks and how grateful he was. So I went on. And I pouted a little bit like uh, Jonah did, you know, when God didn't do what he thought he was supposed to do. And I was questioning, Lord, is that really you telling me not to stop and, and, and accept the man's thanks? Maybe a reward. And, of course, I could give him a book on the way. And the Lord says, let me handle it. Go on. And I don't know what's happened. That's the end of the story. So I have made up what might have happened, and I'll find out when I get to heaven. But what I'm thinking might have happened is that uh, the guy was having a bad day. He was obviously running late for some place, and he was about to have a worse day. And had I stopped, how many know that there's a devil that'll work all the time on people if you let him, and he'll work on you if you don't let him, unless you really know get close to Jesus? And I'm guessing that had I stopped and given a piece of literature, well, well, before I go on, how many of you have ever had somebody give you a piece of literature? And, and you, they came from a church that you weren't in favor of. I'm guessing that had I stopped, knowing what the devil does, and I had accepted his thanks, his gratitude, as he gushed it all over me, because I'm, how many think he was really grateful? You know, he, he stops the truck, he gets out and he runs, and here he sees all the keys to all the places he needs to get into. If it hadn't been for that guy in that little car, he couldn't have made his deliveries probably. He'd have had to call his wife. He'd have had to call his boss. He'd have probably gone home mad. He probably would have kicked the dog and said something nasty to him. How many can see that scenario? You know, the devil just does that. But he got out of his car. He saws the keys. He sees that little car going on down the road. He gets back in his car and... Had I stopped, the devil probably would have put the thought in his mind, just some religious fanatic trying to take advantage of my misfortune to cram his religion down my throat. How many of the devil does that? But under the circumstances, what do you think the demons said to this man? They say, you know, maybe there were two of them there. He says, well, what do we say? I don't know. Let's call back the headquarters. They call back. What, are we, what happened? This, this just happened. We don't know what to say. Uh, you say, uh, 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 
What would the demon say in a case like that? I don't think they had anything to say. How many are with me? And I think if that man was having a bad day, which obviously he was about to have a bad day, I can't help but think that the Holy Spirit had an opportunity to say to him, there is a God, and there's somebody up there who cares about you and is watching after you. How many think the Holy Spirit had an opportunity to say that? And I believe what God wants us to do, there's a place where Ellen White says, uses a word, disinterested benevolence. What's disinterested benevolence? Here's someone who's doing something about me, and they have no agenda at all. They just want to be nice to me. Does that make any sense? Now, I don't know what's happened. Never got to see the guy again. But maybe some Seventh-day Adventist where he lived happened to come to his door that evening, and he was in a good mood and let him in. I don't know. I don't know any of that. But I want to show you an interesting text. This is found in the book of Hebrews. And I want you to look in Hebrews chapter 10. Now, what this particular chapter is talking about, and I have a whole sermon on it, so if there's some stuff you don't understand, be patient, I will get there, but not today. But in Hebrews chapter 10, it's talking about the possibility of people who are Christians stopping being Christians. Now, you've heard me from this pulpit talk about the fact that I believe that God wants us to have assurance of salvation. And there might be some people say, well, he sounds like a Baptist, once saved, always saved. This text proves that once saved, always saved is a dangerous doctrine. It is not biblical. It is false. This chapter is about that. But what I'm going to be talking about is not that, but what we can do for each other to make sure that someone who's, who's backsliding doesn't backslide. And there are several things. I'm just going to mention one. And this is in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24. And it says in the King James, and let us consider one another to provoke. Now, uh, newer translations doesn't use the word provoke. But provoke means usually when you think of it, you've done something, you made somebody mad, and they do something because they're mad. And that happens a lot in the world. Amen? The devil wants other people to do bad things to put you in a bad mood. How many have ever had somebody do something and it put you in a bad mood? You know, I, I live in a... I'm, I have a fifth wheel. I've been living in the fifth wheel for almost two years. And so when I'm going down the highway, I'm laboring, especially when I'm... Anyway, I've had people drive by me and wave at me with one finger. And I don't think it was a friendly wave. How does that affect me? In my humanness. You know, I'm going as fast as I can. You know, how many know that devil is all the time trying to get one person to do something to some other person to get him upset? Does that ever happen in, in church? How many think Satan works on church members to cause each other to be upset? Or husbands and wives? Anybody here have grandkids? I love my grandkids. But uh, sometimes I get together. And it seems like there was just a year apart, a boy and a girl. And it seems like they're all the time irritating each other. They're just at each... Anybody know what I'm talking about? It makes me... I love them. I believe they're going to grow up and be good people. But I know that they need to be born again. Amen? But what this text is saying is God... And there's a better word than provoke. But it says to provoke unto love and to good works. God wants us to do things 
to each other so that when they, you, they get done doing it, you go away feeling good. And I don't think that, that when we do something with absolute disinterested benevolence, just kind to each other, don't care if we ever get thanked, don't care if we just do it. We are making room for the Holy Spirit to work. And I think what the Holy Spirit was saying to me that day that I saw those keys and that guy's, it says, he says, you go on, let me handle this one. Amen? How many of you ever had people do something like that to you? I remember when I was in the academy, and if anybody was at church in New London, you've already heard this story. Anyway, I was in the academy, and uh, there was a lady on the staff. I guess that she wasn't all that important. She didn't have a degree. Uh, she was the assistant cook, which meant that she had to get up early in the morning and get breakfast started. And then when she got all done with breakfast, then she'd go out and supervise the laundry. That was her job. I worked on the dairy. And uh, we'd get up at 4.30 and go down and milk the cows. And once in a while, we would have equipment that malfunctioned. Usually it was the alarm clock that didn't ring long enough or loud enough. And we would be late coming back from work. And uh, by that time, the lady who was in charge, who was a good cook, and she was a first sergeant, and some people on staff and academy have to be first sergeant type people, and she would say, if you boys can't get here on time, you'll just have to go without your breakfast. But this other lady would hear that, and she wouldn't say anything to that lady, but she'd hurry out the back door, and before we got to the dorm, she would say, you boys can't get up early and work. She says, you get cleaned up and you, for class, you come over to my house, I'll have breakfast for you, and if you're late to class, I'll write you a note. And she'd usually have waffles with strawberries and whipped cream and stuff like that on it. Of course, we'd be tempted to take advantage of her. But uh, people like that, you just can't take advantage of them. I remember one time I did something stupid. I was dating a girl and she broke up with me. If you want to know what it is I did, it's none of your business. Uh, But anyway, she broke up with me and I felt bad. And it was Saturday night. And uh, I was having a pity party. And I didn't go to whatever was going on out in the gym that they had for us for entertainment. But this lady was out there, and she noticed my girlfriend and the guy down the hall that he and I weren't all that great of friends. He, as soon as he found out that she and I had broken up, he asked her for that Saturday night. And the assistant cook and the laundry lady saw my girlfriend with this other guy, and she didn't see me. And the next thing I know is I hear footsteps on the stairs of the dorm, and this lady's standing in the door of my room. And she says, I saw so-and-so with so-and-so, and I didn't see you. And I thought, you must be hurting. Isn't that nice? I think every academy ought to have at least one or two staff like that. The rest of them, some, you know, you got to have. Anyway, I remember one Saturday night, they were having uh, progressive games. This was after this sometime. Or, anyway, they're having progressive games out on the campus. And each staff member would have a different activity. And uh, you'd go to that activity for 20 minutes, and then you'd hear a whistle blow, and then you'd go to the next place and whatever they were doing, fun kind of thing. And this lady and her husband, who was the maintenance man at the academy, uh, was playing a game. How many can remember when you're young playing a game called drop the handkerchief? You get in a big circle, and someone has a handkerchief or something, they run around, they drop it behind you, and you're supposed to pick it up. And if you can catch them before they get around where you were, your space, then they have to do it again. If you don't catch them, then you're it, and you have to do it. How many have heard of that game? Well, we didn't play that. But we played one like it. We played one like it called Drop the Rolled Up Newspaper. And uh, what you do, you drop a newspaper behind someone, and then you run as fast as they can because whoever gets it dropped behind is supposed to pick it up. 
and catch up and see how many times they can whack you across the fanny before you get around where they were. And so to start out, that lady says, I'll show you how it's done. And so she dropped it behind me. And I picked it up, and she wasn't a very big lady, and within two or three steps, I caught up with her. But for the life of me, I couldn't bring myself to hit her. I just couldn't do it. Now, there's other people on the staff. I probably wouldn't have had any trouble hitting them. But uh, I couldn't do it. Why not? Because of the fact that every time I had any relationship with this lady at all, she was always treating me with courtesy and kindness, and she cared about me. Amen? And you see, when we witness to people, whether it be to people not in our church or to people in our church, whatever we say about our God, they're going to hear what we do before they hear what we say. Amen? And in this text, Hebrews chapter 10, 24, let us consider, let us pay attention, let us think about what's going on with other people. And do whatever we do and whatever we say with one thing in mind, when we get done and we are gone, they're going to want to do what God wants them to do. Amen? Now, in our church we practice a service when we have our communion called foot washing. And when you read about the foot washing, it's in in, uh, the Gospel of John chapter 13. And when you read between the lines and you see what was going on, the disciples were not feeling like this when they got to the Last Supper because they just had this feeling that something is about to happen. Was it? The very purpose for Jesus being on this earth was about to happen, and they did not understand what Jesus was here for. They thought, even up to that Last Supper, that he was here to set up a kingdom, and they were all going to be important people, and it still hadn't been settled who was going to be the vice president. How many know what I'm talking about? I've referred to this before. And when people talk about, we need to get back to New Testament Christianity, I say, we need to, get, we need to do better than that. Because here's the early church, and they're bickering with each other about who's going to be the highest in the kingdom, remember? And so, in those days, with the kind of footwear that they wore, uh, people's feet got dirty. And when they had this, this service, the Passover service, uh, they were supposed to be clean. And usually it was a servant, a slave, who came to do the foot washing because that was just not something that, you know, polite people wanted to do. The lower, the lower caste people washed people's feet. And there was no servant there and nobody was doing it. So Jesus gets up and the Bible says he lays off his outer garments. And that's, servants had to work that way, so he's in his underclothes, whatever they were. And he girds himself with a towel, and he starts to wash the disciples' feet. They're embarrassed. This should not be. Jesus is about to be the king, and here he's taking the place of a servant. And the Bible says he comes to Peter. And Peter, you can just see Peter kind of pulling his feet back underneath his chair. And he says, you'll never wash my feet. And Jesus says, if I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Well, Peter didn't like that, so he says, well, not my feet only but my head and my head, just wash me all over. And if you're looking there in John chapter 13, I believe we're down to around verse 6 or 7, Jesus says, He that is washed needeth not be washed except his feet. And you are clean, but you're not all clean. For he knew who should betray him. And all of a sudden you realize that this service that we're talking about is not just talking about the actual physical act of washing our feet, but Jesus was talking about their hearts and their souls. Can you see that? 
He knew who should betray him. That's why he said, you're not all clean. So even though they were bickering and fighting, he knew that their hearts were in the, going the right direction. Amen? And so what foot washing then becomes a symbol of is that all of us come to Jesus, we're baptized, we're his children, and he says, I pronounce you clean. And yet we still come in contact with the world and we still have dirt in our lives. Amen? And when Jesus explains this a little bit more, he gets down to verse 12, 13, and 14, and he says, If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, you ought also to wash one another's feet. And we have a part in helping each other to, be, to get over our bad habits. Amen? Now, I'm going to read you something that's going to probably shock you as much as it shocked me. But it is something that's... How many have the book called Evangelism? Now, for those of you who visitor, let me explain something. Let me ask you a question. How many here have ever heard of Martin Luther? Have you ever heard of Martin Luther? Martin Luther is a man that we in this church believe was a man of God that a lot of truth had been lost sight of and God was starting to restore the truth and Martin Luther was one of the first. He wasn't the first, but he was the first that God worked with to bring this truth back. Are you with me? And... And there's a church named after him. Uh, we in this church have a human being that God used to help bring this church and the truth that we teach into existence. It was a lady whose name is Ellen White. The difference between Ellen White and Luther is they named her church after him and we didn't. But this tells you what she... I'm going to read something that this lady wrote that most Adventists don't have a clue. I don't know why I didn't know it, but it was just a year ago. Someone showed me this. I had never seen it before. But let me read what it says. Let me preface it by saying this. This foot washing thing. We're helping each other grow in grace, right? All right. And there's some people, when they're trying to help people grow in grace, they go about it the wrong way. In fact, I'll tell you a story before I read this, and I'll read this to you. But I was having Bible studies with a lady who uh, was really into horses, loved horses. But she was thought that she needed more than horses in her life, and so I studied the Bible with her. And uh, we'd gone far enough, I invited her to come to church. She says, well, I don't have any church clothes. And had I known that church better, I would have known better than what I said, but I said, well, just get the nicest jeans you have and, and come in your jeans. I mean, I think it's all right, I told her that. Well, had I known what was going to happen, I didn't. Anyway, she came in her jeans. And there was a lady who uh, thought that that was not appropriate. And she met the lady. She was coming down the aisle. And she says, if you can't dress better than that, you don't need to come at all. And that was into Bible studies, into that lady. I don't know what happened to that lady. But I was so angry with that lady. And she was very proper about everything. And I thought, if you feel that strongly about it, what she should have done was invite her to sit with her, show her the cordly, help her with the hymnal, invite her home for dinner, and then the next week take her out to some really nice restaurant and get her a good meal and then take her down to the nice store and let her pick out whatever dress that she wants. How many think that would have been a better way to go about it? And you see there is a right way and a wrong way to help other people grow in grace. And sometimes the way we want them to grow in grace is say, you better straighten up. Now listen to what I'm going to read to you. And if you want to look it up, it's in the book Evangelism 272, and this will come as a shock to some people. I hope it doesn't shock anybody here. But if you need shock, you need to hear this. Listen to what it says. 
There are many who try to correct the life of others. Is it all right? Should we, help, should we want to help other people grow in grace and overcome their bad habits? Should we, should we want to? There are many who try to correct the lives of others by attacking what they consider are wrong habits. They go to those who they think are in error and point out their defects. They say, you don't dress as you should. And they try to pick off the ornaments or whatever is offensive. But they do not seek to fasten the mind to the truth. Those who seek to correct others should present the attractions of Jesus. They should talk of his love and compassion. They should present in their own example his sacrifice, reveal his spirit, and they need not touch the subject to address or whatever it is at all. How many knew that was in the writings of Ellen White? How many of that was the first time? I didn't see it, it didn't tell just a year ago. Somebody showed me that, and I thought, praise the Lord. Because I have believed that, but I have always felt like a wimp for not talking about it and hitting the, hitting the, the problem head on. So I tried it once. And uh, those of you who have heard me preach know that one of the first things I talk about when I am preaching is I want people, well, you know the text, 1 John 3, 3, every man that has his hope in him does what? Some of you have heard me preach before. Say it again. Every man that has his hope in him does what? Purifies, Purifies himself. And so when I start Bible studies with people, the very first thing I want to do is to help them know they can have hope because Jesus took all the sins and all the guilt for everything you've done, and now if you accept it, he gives you the gift of eternal life right now. And I want people walking around saying, Jesus has said to me the same thing he said to the thief on the cross. You'll be with me in paradise. And I had a lady that I was given Bible studies to, and that was the first Bible study. And, uh, and when I met her the first time that day, she thought she was lost. And I gave her the Bible study, and I showed her the story of the thief on the cross, and I had a prayer with her, and I read her that prayer. And if you would like to see that prayer, I have a card, and that prayer is on that card. It's, a, it's from the writings of Ellen White, and it says, I, Jesus came to save sinners, and he will save me now. I need not remain a moment longer unsaved. Ellen White says that sinners can say that. And I prayed that prayer and had her say that. And when I left her room that day, it was in a nursing home. And uh, she was rejoicing that Jesus had given her the gift of eternal life and he had used me, my mouth, to say the words that Jesus said to thee, if you'll be with me in paradise. And I gave her the book Steps to Christ. And uh, when I got back the next week, I says, well, how are you coming with that little book? Oh, she says, that was a wonderful little book. I says, well, did you finish reading it? She says, I read it once every day. She'd read it seven times since I had left. She says, do you have any more books by that author? Oh, and by the way, uh, I had never in my life seen a lady who had more jewelry on. I think every grandkid and, and niece and nephew and everybody had given her stuff. And uh, if she didn't have anything else on, you couldn't tell because she was so covered. And uh, she says, you have any more books by the author? I says, yeah. So uh, I brought her, I went out to the car and got her Desire of Ages. And... Uh, I brought her Desire of Ages. I thought, that'll slow her down. But when I came back the next week, she had finished Desire of Ages. And she says, after reading that book, I think I should become a Seventh-day Adventist. And I thought, well, I know what the Adventist church teaches about jewelry. How in the world am I going to approach this subject with all this stuff she has? And uh, so I says, well, let me give you another book. And I never said a word to her about it. Not to this day. And I baptized her, but I never said a word 
about it. Didn't need to. She started studying. She read the Bible. She came to the conclusion, I don't need that. Are you with me? We ought to provoke one another to love and to good works. How do you do that? Like that lady did. Like my friend down here who's blushing a little bit. You live in such a way that your neighbors want to know what makes you so nice. Amen? And when someone has a problem in their life, the text that was read, that's found in Galatians. Let's look at it. Galatians chapter 6. Let's go there real quick. Galatians chapter 6. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, talk about him behind his back. Right? By the way, while I'm reading this, let me tell you, I I saw a book one time, it's called Games Christians Play. And the first chapter is entitled Sanctified Gossip. How many want to know what sanctified gossip is? Well, you go to somebody and you say, we need to pray for sister so-and-so. And then I'll tell you why we need to pray for her. Then you go ahead and you tell about all the faults of sister so-and-so and we think we're sanctified because when we get done gossip, we're going to pray for them. What does the Bible say to do when you see somebody who has a problem? What should you do? You should go to them. And you should discuss it between you and them. However, for what I've said in the sermon today, you need to have established a relationship with them before you go to talk to them so that they know that you are their friend and you care about them. Amen? And sometimes those who are bold enough and real because they shouldn't talk about other people behind their back. We should go straight to them. Those who are bold, go straight to them and lay it on the line. What I'm saying in this sermon today, we need to wash their feet first. Whether it means baking them a pie and taking to them or apologizing for what we have done or whatever, we need to break up the hard ground first by being kind. Amen? Brethren, if any man be overtaken to fault, ye which are spiritual in that particular area, you don't restore such a one, how? In the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Let's bow our heads. Dear Jesus in heaven, we know that we have an enemy. And one of the things that your servant Ellen White said is that he is all the time trying to divert our minds away from Jesus onto anything else. And Steps of Christ, it says there's four things that he uses. The pleasures of life or the hardships of life or the faults of others or our own faults and imperfections. To any or all of these, he seeks to divert the mind Anything to get our attention off of Jesus. Jesus, help us live in such a way that our own attention stays steadfast on Jesus and that even if we don't say a word to somebody else, by the way that we treat them, we create an atmosphere in which the Holy Spirit can put thoughts in their minds. Father, as we separate to have the service of brotherly love, as we wash each other's feet, help us to understand that you want us, when someone else has dirty feet, to take the place of the servant of the slave and by our actions say, I am here.
to help you to be the kind of person that down in your heart you really wish that you were. I pray, Father, that you'll help us treat each other with the courtesy that Jesus treated his betrayer. He didn't even expose him. And when he was washing feet, he even washed Judas's feet. Your servant Ellen White says that he lingered longer at the feet of Judas than in the others, hoping that by his compassion he could win Judas to his side. We see Jesus on the cross, and as they drive the nails in his hands and his feet, as they mock him and spit upon him, the only thing that they hear coming from Jesus' lips is, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Help us, Father, to recognize that in the relationship that we have with each other, even bad things happen, and you allow them to happen so that we have an opportunity to witness by our forbearance and our kindness and our love. Amen. I've got to finish this with one more story. I had a phone call one night from a person that I'd baptized many years before. And they were crying. They were suicidal. It was a man who uh, really wanted to do what was right, but he had a weakness. And he told me he had cheated on his wife. He'd committed adultery. And he was so ashamed that he wanted, he's the only thing, way he thought he could rectify is just to kill himself. And that's where he was the night that he called me. I says, well, before you do that, go get your Bible. So he went and got his Bible. Now, I could have scolded him. He deserved a good scolding for what he did. But I says, go get your Bible. So he went and got his Bible. And I said, go to that text, 1 John 3, 3. Every man that has his hope in him purifies himself, even as Christ is pure. I says, let's face it. When you did what you did, you did not have hope in you, did you? He said, no. Then I says, then we need to get hope back in you, don't we? Because if we don't get hope back in you, you're going to do it again. How do people become pure? You show them Jesus. And you say, I, I, want, to have, I want to have hope in your heart. I want you to be rejoicing that Jesus saves sinners. At this time, we will separate and have the service of brotherly love. For the sake of modesty, we usually have ladies wash ladies and men wash men's. The ladies go in the schoolroom, which is under this part. The men go in the fellowship hall. And in back of the kitchen, if husbands and wives want to wash each other's feet, you need to do that. That's a good thing to do, too. And that's in the room behind the kitchen, the junior room. So let's separate this time. And when you kneel down in front of your foot washing partner, pray for them first and say, Lord, help me to do spiritually for my brother or sister what I'm about to do physically. Help me be their servant. Wash their feet. Dear Jesus in heaven, help us to experience what it's like when we allow you to come completely into our hearts. The words that we're about to read talk about becoming partakers. And Father, partaker is an old word that we use that we thank you when we're about to eat our food. We say thank you this food for which we're, of which we're about to partake. 
And Jesus, in a moment, we're going to partake of that, which you have said, this is my blood, this is my body. That we here recognize these are physical symbols. We pray that as we partake of them, your spirit will come into our bodies and refresh us, give us the energy that our souls need. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's bow our heads together. Dear Jesus in heaven, help us to understand in our hearts what gratitude means and the joy that's ours. Father, I've told a few stories today, especially the one about the lady who was so nice to me. And every time I think about her kindness, it fills my heart with gratitude. And it in turn makes me want to be kind to others. But Jesus, the greatest kindness, the greatest mercy that was ever shown was on a cross. And that was done for us. Help us, though we leave this place, never to leave your presence. Never to stop rejoicing in the Lord. This is my prayer for us all today and through eternity. In Jesus' name, amen.